0: Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Barry Harker, and this is The Bible Teachers. We are continuing the search for certainty with Pastor Danny Malenkov. This is the fifth program in the series. Hello again, Danny. Good day, Barry. Good to see you again. Thank you. It's good to be back here. We're, we're moving through the series now. What's our topic today? Well, today we're continuing on from where we left off the last time we were together. The last time we were together, we discovered um, why there is so much suffering and pain in this world. Today we're going to discover uh, an incredible plan that God has put together. I've entitled it God's GPS. Do you know I've had a GPS now for about 4 years and it's taken a huge amount of stress out of my life when I when I try to get to a destination. Absolutely. Well, God's given us a GPS and I'm going to I'm going to outline what that GPS is to help us get from this world to our destination which is the earth made new. Well if it's a better GPS than the one I've got in my car I'm really interested. Again it's over to you. Thank you so much. Welcome to the search for certainty. Today in our series we are looking at the subject of God's GPS. That's what I've entitled it. God's GPS. We're all very familiar by now with the GPS system, the global positioning system that enables us to navigate from point A to point B. Some of us prefer to use a map uh, the old-fashioned way, but the younger generation and most people today, I guess, uh, prefer to use the GPS. Either they're situated in their car or on their smartphones to enable them to navigate from point A to point B. As I've been thinking about this incredible uh, new tool, the GPS, I think of the times that we are living in. I believe today we're living in a time where people are not able to navigate from one point to another. And I'm not talking about navigating through the road system. I'm talking about the times that we're living in as far as the morality of our world is concerned, in particular, our Western society. Let me suggest to you that without a moral compass, we are thrown into a state of confusion. Indeed, today, I don't need to remind you, I don't need to remind all of us that we're living in a world where there is profound violence, violence in the streets, violence in In the home, violence in the media, there is violence everywhere. Today, we're living in a world that is filled and plagued with immorality, immorality that comes in all shapes and sizes. Today, many have come to the conclusion that something is fundamentally wrong with our society. The moral standards, which once were very solid, rock solid, are now almost non-existent. It appears that our society has turned its back on God's moral standards, that foundation for a happy and a healthy society. You may recall from a previous presentation, we looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus summarized the times that we would be living in prior to his second coming. The words that we looked at earlier, I want to share once again with us where Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Indeed, we're living in a day and an age where lawlessness abounds, and the love of many indeed has grown very, very cold. We discovered also that Jesus told us in Matthew twenty-four thirty-seven. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it also will be in the coming of the Son of Man. So what was it like during the time of Noah? Well, we don't need to guess. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 11, we read these words. The earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Do we live in a world today that is filled with violence? The answer is obvious. I came across an interesting study done by Dr. Arnold Toynbee, a professor there in the British University, a historian, well-known, well-recognized, well-respected. And Sir Arnold Toynbee examined 26 world civilizations, such as the ancient Romans, the Aztecs, the Greeks, the Chinese, and many others, in his mammoth volume, a study of history. In his fifth volume, he answered the all-important question, why do they disintegrate and collapse? That is, these civilizations that have gone before us, these 26 world civilizations that he has looked at, why did they all of a sudden disintegrate and collapse? Well, it didn't happen suddenly. Toynbee describes one of the main reasons why these civilizations ceased to exist. One of the reasons... Was, according to Toynbee, the abandonment of lawlessness. Lawlessness, which means our society is therefore today also fast moving towards disintegration. Toynbee summed up his research in these words lawlessness leads to destruction. So, how do you protect moral values in an immoral world? How do we do that? Today we want to take a look at God's GPS. That's right, not the GPS that you have in your car, but God's GPS, which, in my words, stands for God's perfect solution for peace and happiness. But before we do, as always, we need to pray and ask God to lead us as we open up his word. Father in heaven, once again. We come humbly before your throne of grace and we ask and pray that as we open up your holy word that you will open up our minds and our hearts. We all recognize that today we live in a world where those rock solid morals and values that stood the test of time, that kept our societies together many years ago today, Father, they. They're they're nowhere to be found. And so we're asking and praying that you will lead and guide us as we study your word. Help us to understand how we can be part of your perfect solution for peace and happiness in our lives, in our homes, and in our communities. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to begin our study this, this day by taking a look at the three angels' messages. We've been there before. Let me repeat to you these words found there in the heart of the book of Revelation. This gospel that needs to go to all the world that Jesus said before he returns. Here we have the gospel in an end time context. And John the Revelator writes these words. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, writes John. Having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people. Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. Notice the words that the angel begins to share, a message that needs to go to the entire world, a message proclaimed with a loud voice. You remember those words in the original language, the Greek language, loud mega? Voice, phone in a megaphone voice. The first words that come out of the angel's mouth are, Fear God. Fear God. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Does God want us to be afraid of Him? Notice what the Bible says when it describes or defines what it means to fear God. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, we read these words. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, there is that phrase, Notice what follows, and to walk in all his ways and to love him, to serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Verse 13, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you for your good. Notice what it means to fear the Lord. To fear God means to serve Him. It means to love Him with all of your heart. It means to keep His commandments and His statutes which ultimately God says are for your good. And we're going to unpackage that a little more. But that's what it means to fear God. It means to to reverence Him, to respect Him, to love Him, to keep His commandments. Here is another scripture also from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 2. Fear, or as we've discovered that word literally means love. The Lord your God, as long as you live, by keeping all his decrees and his commandments. Once again, the same message. Fear God is to abide by his commandments, to live in harmony with his commandments, which are for our good. God's ten commandments, as we will discover, are a transcript of his character. The Bible tells us, and we've looked at this on a previous occasion, that God is love. That's how the Bible sums up God in three words. God is love. It's interesting when you compare God and his character and the Ten Commandments and how God describes the Ten Commandments, you'll discover that they are one and the same thing. The Bible tells us that God is love. The Bible tells us that his commandments or his law is love. God is good. His law is good. God is holy. His law is holy. God is perfect. His law is perfect. God is pure. His law is pure. And all the way through, God and his law are both just and true and spiritual and righteous and faithful and unchangeable and eternal. And this is just a short list. If you are interested in discovering the scriptures of of all these qualities of God, and his law at the end of the program we'll give you some details and you can you can email or you can phone in to receive a copy of of this presentation and you can take a look at these scriptures for yourself the truth is that satan has a hatred for god's law he doesn't want us to abide by his law because he knows that if we will abide by god's holy law we will indeed experience happiness and joy and peace at the very beginning of time, Satan rebelled against God's law, God's law that was written in the hearts of his heavenly created beings. He deceived one third of the angels into believing that they did not need to abide by God's holy and happy law in order to be happy, that they could live lives according to what they believed was right and wrong. Satan des- deceived a third of the angels into believing that they could determine what was truth, that they could determine what was good. Sadly, he not only deserved the third of the angels, but he also deceived our first parents, Adam and Eve, into believing that they could be the ones to judge what was right and what was wrong, what was good and what was not good. And sadly, we have the results today of Adam and Eve's choice to go against God's law of love. The Bible tells us that God wrote the Ten Commandments with his very own finger. He wrote it on tablets of stone. Why? So that these commandments would last forever. You may find it interesting that the only time God writes with his own finger and he records messages for us in the Bible, it's in the Ten Commandments. Even you remember Moses smashed the Ten Commandments when he saw the golden calf that was set up in his absence, but God still wrote on the second tablets of stone. He wrote with his own finger the commandments once again. There is no other place in Scripture where God's words that he has written to us are recorded by his very own hand. You may think, what about Daniel chapter 5? And King Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. Yes, that's true. There was writing on the wall. But the Bible says it wasn't necessarily the hand of God. It simply says the fingers of a man's hand. It could very well have been an angel. The other time we have God writing, and that is God in human flesh, Jesus Christ writing on the temple floor dust for the religious leaders to view their sins. But we're not told what was there, we can assume and we can, and we can contemplate that that is exactly what took place. But this is the only place in the Bible where we have God's words written for us, and that is in those Ten Commandments, words written by God with his very own finger. Now the question is, why did God give us the Ten Commandments? There are many reasons, but let me just share with you several Firstly, Proverbs 29:18 tells us, "Happy is he who keeps the law." Notice, it's for our happiness. Secondly, Deuteronomy 6:24, "The Lord your God commanded you to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord your God for your good always." Notice, "for your good always, that you may be happy," and that it may be for your good always, as we have already discovered. It's a little like the laws that we have on the road. I thank God that we have laws on the road. I thank God that we have speed limits. I thank God that we have stop signs. I thank God that we have traffic lights and many other signs. Why are those laws given to us? Or why are those signs, I should say, given to us? Why are they there on the road? It is simply to protect us on our journey so that we can make it safely from point A to point B. Imagine what it would be like driving on the road if there was no law whatsoever, if there were no signs, no traffic lights, and you could do as you please. I wouldn't want to drive on a road like that. Now, would you? Notice what the Bible says. Psalm one nineteen one sixty five, Great peace. Have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. That's what God wants for us, for each and every one of us. He wants us to enjoy great peace. He wants us to enjoy the blessings of happiness. He wants us to enjoy the blessings of peace. Notice another reason why God has given us his holy law. John 15, verse 10, we read the words of Jesus where he says, If you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice, as we keep God's commandments, we abide in his love. We abide in the love of Christ, just as Christ kept his father's commandments and he abound in his father's love. So, too, we will abide in the love of Christ. It is to draw near to Christ. It is to become one with him. Love is the foundation of God's government, and God's law is the foundation of his government. As we have pointed out, it's a transcript of his character. The law of a country determines what kind of country that will be. The reason why my parents left former Yugoslavia, in particular there, Macedonia, many years ago, and I was blessed to be born in Australia, is because they came looking for a place where they could have freedom of religion, where they could have an opportunity to earn an income, where they could have opportunity, not only themselves, but opportunity for their children, opportunities that they did not enjoy in their country of origin, that they loved very much, but opportunities that were not there. Why do people from all around the world, in particular, those areas where there is discrimination, be it religious or political or whatever, why do they come to Australia? Why do they get on boats and, and, and make that treacherous journey? to Australia, many of them losing their lives in the process? The answer is simple. They're seeking to come to a better land. And why is Australia such a blessed nation? It is because we have laws that protect civil rights. We have laws that protect freedom of religion. We have wonderful laws that enable us to live in peace and happiness and safety, and the government seeks to provide that for us. The government of Australia has provided Peace and safety through its laws. And God's government is established on his law of love. That's why his government is a government of love. Today, God is calling the world's attention back to the Ten Commandments. Firstly, the Ten Commandments are the standard of judgment. Notice what we read in Revelation 14, 7. We've read these words, Earlier, but let's notice them again where the angel cries out, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. Notice the Bible tells us that we are now living in the time of the judgment hour. Solomon, in his final words in his will and testament in the book of Ecclesiastes, he writes these words, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, there are those words, and keep His commandments. For this is man's all, for God will bring every work into judgment. What was that word? Judgment. That's right. Including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Notice, as far as Solomon was concerned, the wisest man who ever lived, at the end of his life, he summarizes, that which is most important and what is most important is to fear God or to love God, to respect Him, to honor Him as we have discovered and to keep His commandments. For this is man's all. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing based on His law of love. Notice what James chapter 2, verse 12 tells us. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Now, what law of liberty is James referring to? Well, we don't have to guess. In verse 11, we discover what law he is referring to. In verse 11, James writes, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. What law is James referring to? Well, of course, he's referring to the Ten Commandments, that law of love, which is a law of liberty. God's commandments are not there to restrict us. God's commandments are there to provide liberty, to provide happiness, to provide peace, to provide joy, to provide safety. Secondly, and most important of all, the Ten Commandments define and protect our most important relationships. We're going to go through each and every one of the Ten Commandments and we will discover this all-important truth that God's Ten Commandments are designed first and foremost to define and protect our most important relationships. When we come back, we will unpack this powerful truth. If you have any questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3 ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02. 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 612 4973 3456 Our email address is radio at 3 That That is radio at the number 3ABN Australia All one word.org.au Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. P.O. Box 752, Morissette, New South Wales, 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. Welcome back. We concluded the first part of our presentation by discovering that the reason There are many reasons, but one of the key and fundamental reasons why God has given us his Ten Commandment Law of Love is to define and to protect our most important relationships. We'll discover that the first four commandments protect our relationship with God, and the second six commandments protect our relationship with one another. But let's first begin with those first four commandments commandments that protect our relationship with God. Notice how the Ten Commandments begin. You can find them and you can read them. And I would encourage you to do that in Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 17. Notice how the commandments begin in verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt." out of the house of bondage. Notice, God begins his commandments by introducing who he is and what he has done for us. He is God, and he has brought us out of the land of Egypt. Now we haven't been brought out of the land of Egypt today, but the children of Israel certainly were. But today we have been brought out of the land of Egypt which is a symbol and represents slavery to sin. So Jesus says, God says, I have rescued you. And because I have rescued you and I am your God, this is what I'm inviting you to do as you enter into a relationship with the God that has rescued you, with the God that has saved you, with the God that has died on Calvary's cross for you. Notice these words that follow. Commandment number one, Exodus 20 verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. So God says, the first and all important thing is to place me first and foremost in your life. That is, you are to have no other gods before me. I came across this very interesting advertisement from some years ago where a person wrote in the newspaper they were seeking to sell some some items and they wrote, for sale, fridge, golf clubs, used sofa, color TV and other household gods. Not goods, but gods, an obvious typo. But I wonder, I wonder how many of us have taken the goods of this world and have turned them into gods. It may not be a color TV. It may not be a fridge for you, but it may be a car. It may be a job. It may be a person. Whatever it is that comes between us and placing God first and foremost in our lives, that becomes a God. Notice the second commandment in verses 4 and 5. God says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness, of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Notice what God says. He says he is a jealous God. Now you may think, oh, that doesn't sound very good. That does not sound like the kind of God of love that I believe in or that I serve or that I want to get to know. But let's think about that for a moment. That word jealous, what does it entail? The word jealous entails relationship. Isn't that right? If I was walking through the shops with my wife, and all of a sudden, I made eyes for some other woman other than my wife. Would my wife be jealous? Absolutely. Would she be jealous in a negative sense or in a positive sense? It would be in a positive sense. Why is that? Because I belong to my wife. I have a love relationship with, with her. And And she loves me with all of her heart, and she does not want me to share my love with somebody else. So this idea of God being a jealous God is God wanting us to have a precious relationship with Him, just as a husband and wife have with one another. So here we discover God is a God of loving relationships, and He wants to protect that relationship. And that's why He says, Don't make any other gods of anything, but place me first and foremost. Notice the third commandment, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now it's true. On a very surface level, this commandment deals with not using God's name as a curse word. And today, God's name is used as a curse word, or God's name is used in vain everywhere at home, at work, at the movies, on the sports ground, wherever. God's name, the name of Jesus, is used as a curse word. It is used in vain over and over again. But there is more to this commandment than simply using God's name in vain in the way that most people understand. This commandment is also, and primarily at the very heart of this commandment, it is referring to those individuals who claim to be followers of God, those individuals who claim to take on board the name of Christ. They call themselves Christians. In other words, they represent Christ, and yet they do not live a life that represents Christ. They do not live a Christ-like life. They do not have that love of God in their hearts that represents the love of God. This ultimately is taking the Lord's name in vain. God wants to protect our names. He wants to protect our reputations. He also wants us to protect his reputation and to represent him in the appropriate way. Notice commandment number four. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. What is this commandment first and foremost all about? This commandment informs us that God is our friend. And because God values relationships, God knows that relationships, for relationships to exist, for relationships to grow, they require time, quality time. We all know that. In order to develop a good relationship with your spouse, you need to put time, quality time into your marriage. In order to develop a good relationship with your children, you need to place good quality time Relationships are based on good quality time. And so God says, I have given you one day out of seven to spend with me, to spend with those who are nearest and dearest to you in order to develop that which is most important in life, and that is relationships. God is a God of relationships. So the first four commandments, protect our relationship with God. God is literally saying, if you put me first and foremost in your life, if you seek me first with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, then I will take care of those other significant relationships in your life, which we are going to get to in a moment. It reminds us of the words of Jesus in Matthew six thirty three, where Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. So let's take a look at the second set of commandments that God has given to us. On that second tablet of stone, we find listed six commandments that protect our relationship with others. Let's go them through. Let's go through them very briefly. Firstly, commandment number five, the first of those dealing in, with our relationships with others, we read in verse twelve: "Honor your father and your mother." that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Notice God begins by taking a look at the most basic of all human relationships, and that is children and their parents. This is the framework. This is the bedrock. This is the nucleus of a happy and prosperous society, the family unit. As goes the family, so goes society. And we're all very well aware of that. We owe our very existence to our parents. Whether they've been good or not so good, we are only here because of our parents. We wouldn't be here without them otherwise. God's commandments protect family life. God is interested in the family unit. He created the family unit at the very beginning, as you'll remember, after God created Adam and Eve, even before sin came into the world, He said to them, "'Be fruitful and multiply.'" Have a family, because God ultimately is family. You may not have thought about this, but we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That is a family. And so, too, God has invited us to place family first and foremost in our relationships with one another. Even if our parents we not honorable, even if our parents did not act in an honorable way. And sadly, today, there is so much abuse that takes place in the family home. And, um, and, I, and I don't even want to think about it. It's just so sad and so terrible, especially being a father of two precious daughters. I cannot imagine for one moment abusing them or hurting them in any way. And yet, sadly, this is a reality today in far too many homes. But although we are commanded not to condone their attitude and their actions, we are commanded by God to honor and to respect our parents. I find it interesting that the first commandment that we looked at deals with our relationship with God, putting God first and foremost above all things. That is the foundation of having a relationship with God. And the first commandment, given to us in our relationship with others, is to put family first, to put those human relationships that are most near and dear to us first and foremost. And then all of our other relationships will fall into line. Two foundations for two all-important relationships, God and with family. The sixth commandment, God says, you shall not kill. God values human life and we should value human life also. God has given us this commandment in order to protect life. Commandment number seven, God writes with his very own finger, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. The marriage vows are sacred. Marriage is sacred and holy. That's why we refer to marriage as holy matrimony, something that has been set apart by God for holy use, for that which would bless the human family. And and you'll, you'll recall, God is the one who presided over the very first marriage in the Garden of Eden when he brought Eve to Adam. And he said, the two shall become one flesh. God calls us to be faithful God calls us to be faithful to one another in marriage. Today, we no longer live, sadly, in a, in a, in a world, in particular in the Western world, where, where most practice until death do us part. Today, it's until we do part. Sadly, almost one half of those who are married one day go their separate ways. Sadly, many children are caught up in the crossfire and they are forever affected by the consequences of these tragic separations. And many, I'm sure, who are listening to this message have been affected by the trauma and the tragedy and the hurt and the suffering associated with separation and divorce. It was never God's plan. But sadly, due to our our lack of seeking after God and seeking to follow His holy will, through his commandments of love, we have created this sadness in our lives, in our homes, in our communities. Jesus also said that to commit adultery is not simply the physical act. Jesus said adultery includes to lust after a woman or to lust after a man. Adultery begins in the heart. Today sadly we live in a in a in a world that I have that I have termed the Nike generation. You're familiar with the Nike shoes, you're familiar with the Nike brand, I'm sure. Nike, it has that tick which is a symbol, an outward symbol that everybody recognizes the branding for. And Nike's motto in three words, just do it. Just do it. Today people live by this Nike symbol, just do it if it feels good just do it. You're here for a good time, not a long time. So don't worry about the future. Just party hard. Have a great time. If it feels good, do it. Just enjoy life for the here and now. Sadly, many people don't believe there is a future. So if there is no future, well, just live life for the here and now. The seventh commandment protects our health. Today, sadly, due to due to this commandment being broken over and over and over again, today we find ourselves in in a world where there are so many sexually transmitted diseases that are taking the health, the happiness, and ultimately the life of countless millions around the world i don't need to I don't need to give you a heads up on on the hiv aids epidemic there we have around the world where some 35 million people today are suffering from AIDS. Millions and millions have died. In fact, I looked at some statistics recently and discovered that every single day around the world, over 6,000 people are dying due to HIV AIDS. That's a statistic that boggles the mind. We know the statistics, and I have known the statistics, but... Several years ago when I went to Africa to run a series of seminars such as I'm sharing here on the radio, I was confronted with not statistics but with real people. I went to the country of Malawi where some 16 million people live and more than 1 million of those 16 million are living with HIV-AIDS. I looked into the faces of young people who have the AIDS virus because it has been passed on to them by their mothers I looked at mothers who have who have that who have the terrible disease, and I wept and I cried. They were not just a statistic on a website or in a book or in a magazine. These were real people. They asked me to pray for them, and I did pray for them. And I shared with them the hope that we can have in Jesus. And regardless of whether we have whether we have brought this disease upon ourselves by our poor choices by adultery or infidelity or whatever the case may be, that God forgives, God restores. And even if our lives may end in tragedy in the here and now, there is a new day coming when God will make all things new, where there'll be no more sickness and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and ultimately no more death. And I pointed them to Jesus, the one who forgives, the one who restores, the one who gives hope. And their faces lit up and they were smiling and they were happy because there is a better day coming. And that is the good news. So no matter where you have been, what you have done, you may be feeling really awful. You may have, you, you, you may have fallen for the enemy's temptation. For that Nike temptation. If it feels good, just do it. And you are suffering the consequences. The good news, my friend, is that Jesus offers forgiveness. If you will come to Him and simply ask Him to forgive you, if you will come to Him and simply say, I'm sorry, forgive me, He has promised if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness means all unrighteousness. We can come to Jesus just as we are, regardless of how sinful we may think we are. Jesus will forgive us. He'll restore. He'll heal. He'll bring hope. And I want to encourage you to continue to come to Jesus. The Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment is all about our possessions. You shall not steal, God says. God cares about our possessions. Our possessions are not first and foremost. I guess that's why they're towards the end of of the list. But God does care about our possessions, and he wants us to protect the possessions of others and others to protect our possessions. Commandment number nine, God says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God's commandments protect our reputations and the reputations of our neighbors. It's important to tell the truth. White lies don't have a place in the place of God's people. White lies are lies, regardless of how white we may think they are. And finally, the 10th commandment. God says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. This commandment is a commandment that protects our mental well-being. Now, what do you mean by mental well-being, Danny? Well, God wants us to be content. He says you don't need to look over the fence and see what Mr. Jones or Mrs. Jones has. You don't need to see whether the grass is greener on the other side. Be content with what you have. Life does not consist of the abundance of riches or the things that you have or you don't have. Be content with what you have. Now godliness with contentment is great gain, God has told us in 1st Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, we read these beautiful words, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. God cares for us. We can be content with that which we have, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little bit or somewhere in between. Be content, God says. Be content with what I have provided for you. For those who have God, for those who have Christ living in their hearts, they are content for they can rejoice in the goodness of God. As I think about these Ten Commandments and take a look at how God has given the commandments to us in the order that he has given them to us, I find it interesting to compare God's order with the order of this world. Let's notice something. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, as we have discovered. The fifth commandment deals with that most precious Relationship that we have with those who are closest to us The family unit Mother and father Sons and daughters The next commandments deal with others How we relate to others Those other four Six, seven, eight and nine How do we relate to those around us And finally the last commandment Commandment number ten Deals with what? It deals with our possessions So we have God first family second, others third, possessions last. That is the order that God has given to us. But notice how Satan has turned these commandments upside down. What do so many people today chase after? That's right, possessions. Possessions is on top of the list. Getting ahead, earning more money, having a better career, and the list could go on and on and on. What is valuable next? In, in, in the lives and the priority list of many, it's others, your friends, those around you, your work colleagues. What follows? Family. Family is not all that important, is it? And finally, we have hardly any time for that which is more important than anything else, and that is God. God is at the bottom of the list. Can you see that? God is at the top of his list, and God happens to be at the bottom of the worldly list. Sadly, that is why everything has fallen apart because we have put God at the bottom of the list. There is no time for God, no time to spend in in time with prayer with God, no time for spending with God in his word. We don't have any time for anything related to God and spiritual things because we're busy chasing after everything else. Thirdly, The Ten Commandments reveal or point out sin or wrongdoing. Notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Notice he goes on, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. So what is another all important purpose of God's Ten Commandment law? It is to help us to know that which is wrong. It is to help us to know that which we need to stay away from. God's law reveals sin. It reveals that which is wrong. It reveals that which separates us from God, which separates us from one another. God's law cannot save us. There are some who believe and teach that God's law can save us. Some have thought that that's what I teach and that's what I believe and that's what my church teaches and believes. But that is as far away from the truth as, As possible The truth of the matter is And we have looked at it in a previous presentation We are saved by God's grace alone Through faith alone In the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone There is nothing we can do There is no commandment or commandments that we can keep That will bring us salvation We are saved by God's grace alone Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 Make that abundantly clear So why has God given us the law? And what is the purpose of the law pointing out sin? Well, it's like a mirror. The law of God is like a mirror. Why do we go to the mirror? We go to the mirror to find out what is dirty on our face, what needs to be cleaned up. The mirror doesn't clean our face. God's law doesn't clean us up. (coughs) But we go to that water and we wash our faces. Then we take a towel and we wipe our faces. The washing of our faces is the cleansing blood of Jesus. And that and that towel represents that righteous robe that Jesus places on us. That is how we are saved. We are saved by coming to Christ. The law of God tells us that we are sinners and we need a savior. And we come to Jesus and he saves us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, we read, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is is lawlessness. So sin is lawlessness. It is going against God's law of love. Sin ultimately is breaking relationships, as we've discovered, those most important relationships between us and God and between between us and those around us. Sin is breaking our relationship with those most fundamental relationships that we have. In Isaiah chapter 59 verses 2 and 3, Isaiah writes, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. Notice Isaiah here describes what separates us from God. It is our iniquities. It is our sins that have separated us from God. Israel, sadly, turned its back on God's Ten Commandments, and they found themselves living in captivity. The Israelites, they went into captivity, the northern tribes in 722 BC, followed by the southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin. They found themselves in Babylonian captivity in 586 BC. They turned their back on God's law. They chose to live lives as they pleased. They chose to live... According to the Nike generation, if it feels good, just do it. And whenever we separate ourselves from God's law of love, we suffer the consequences. It's just like making a decision to drive your car on the road any which way you please, to drive at whatever speed you choose. You will suffer the consequences. And not only you, but there are others that will also will suffer the consequences of your poor choice. Daniel the prophet, as he reflected on why his people found themselves in Babylon, this is what he wrote in Daniel chapter 9 and verses 5, 11, and 14. We have sinned. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disasters in mind and brought it upon us. Notice the reason why the children of Israel The children of Judah ended up in captivity is because they had transgressed God's law. The same scenario was played out when Jesus said that the temple would be destroyed, that Jerusalem would be overtaken by the Romans. Those words were fulfilled 40 years after the time of Jesus in 70 AD. Jesus said, and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you have held to your traditions. Sadly, lawlessness leads to destruction. Arnold Toynbee told us, but God told us well before that. Today we live in a world that is filled with sadness and sin and sorrow. We live in a world where people are focusing on that which they believe is right rather than that which God has given to us. Instructions in his word, instructions in his 10 commandments. Notice what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 48 verse 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river. Can you hear the cry of God? Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Oh, that you had followed those laws of love. Only if you had Used my GPS, God's perfect solution, his commandments. Only if you had abound by his 10 commandments, how things would be very different. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Notice the commandments of God are based on love. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, verse 3. John writes, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For those who love God, keeping the commandments is not a burden, but it's a delight. It's just like me. When I married my wife, and I said I do, I had no idea that there was a certain way to put the washing up on the washing line. I didn't do it quite right the first few times, and she pointed out my error. She said, no, that's not how you put the washing up on the washing line, Danny. I could have said to her, well, if you don't like how I'm doing it, you can do it yourself. And, um, and we know what would have happened, I'm sure, if I would have said that. But I decided, because I loved her and still love her, that I would put the washing up just as she has asked me to. She's got her reasons why. That is because I love her. I respect her. And love and respect and allegiance are found in obedience to one another. We obey one another out of love, out of respect, out of offering our allegiance. So where does God want to place his law of love? The Bible tells us in Hebrews 8 verses 10 to 12, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. Notice where God wants to place his law of love. He wants to place it in our hearts, on the tablets of our hearts. Because when his commandments are placed on the tablets of our hearts, then we will keep his commandments. We will love to do them. It will not be because we have to, but because we love to. We will serve God out of love. Just as Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because I have rescued you. I have set you free. So how can I keep God's law of love? I can't do it in my own strength. Neither can you. Nobody can. Notice what we read in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he, that is Christ, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice who it is that does his good work in us. It is Jesus Christ. We simply need to allow him to do his wonderful work in us. And he will complete it, the work that he has begun. He will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. That is wonderful, wonderful news. And finally, the book of Revelation describes God's end time people in this way. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12. John describes God's people at the end of time, at the end of the three angels' messages. These are the words that we find. Revelation 14 verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. So God will have a people on planet earth who love him. God will have a people on planet earth who desire to please him. God will have a people on planet earth who have discovered that God's law is a law of love, one that protects our relationship with him and protects our relationship with one another. So why not, my friend? Why not, my friend, make a decision today to love God with all your heart and to adopt his law of love, his GPS for your life that will help you in those most precious relationships in your life, the relationship with God, your relationship with your family, with your extended family, with your work colleagues, with those around you and that you will enjoy the peace and the happiness and the joy that God has in store for you. God's law is a law of love. Won't you join me as we pray and as we thank God for his law of love? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for giving us your law of love. Thank you so much that you have loved us with an everlasting love, that you did not allow us to try and navigate through life on our own accord, without a GPS, stumbling and wandering and falling in the darkness of this world. But we thank you that you have given us your law of love, the Ten Commandments. Oh, Father, we are saddened that today your law of love is not in the hearts of very many people at all, but we're asking and praying that you will place it within our hearts. And we pray that we will encourage others, to also allow you to place your law of love in their hearts that they too may experience the joy and the blessings that you have in store for them. We thank you, Lord, for your law of love. We thank you that you love us so much. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.